Interviews. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will have Father Mike Wensing with us. He's going to talk about, oh, by the way, Merry Christmas. If you are listening to this on Sunday, Christmas Eve day. Night. It will be Christmas in a few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Bergwall is already messing with me here. Okay. Anyway, Father Mike Wensing will be here. We're going to talk about the incarnation and just Christmas season in general and what are some of his favorite things from his many years as a priest uh, for Christmas. Um, Father Wensing is always fun to have here. He's got all kinds of good stories. So I hope you'll stick around for that. First, we have Dr. Bergwald here to mess with us with some biblical bites with Dr. B. <laughs> what, what, what Sunday is it, Renee? It is the fourth Sunday of Advent. It is the fourth Sunday of but, Advent. But I won't, see, we won't be on again until after Christmas. Oh, I know. So, my wait. So, uh, <laughs> Next week, you can wish the uh, viewers and listeners and I do. Merry Christmas. I do. But. Now, they might be listening to this after right. sunset, so yeah, it might right. be Christmas for yeah. them by then. Too. So it's either close to Christmas or it is it's Christmas. Christmas. Yes, yes, yes. As, so, al- as always. We, right, right. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it's all relative, right? So, um, yeah, this is, this. obviously, this happens every few years where Christmas Day falls on a Monday, mm-hmm. and therefore the fourth Sunday of Advent gets, it's a super short fourth week of Advent. It's like hours, One day. not even well, a day. Well, I mean, it's a day. Saturday, I suppose four. Saturday at yeah. four-ish, Sunday at four-ish. Yeah. Um, but we're going to look at the readings for the fourth Sunday of Advent right. because even though it gets short shrift, it's still... It's still in there. Yes. So the the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday Advent um, in year B is from Luke. It's the Annunciation where yeah. Gabriel comes to Mary and mm-hmm. announces. So this is, I mean, I'm picking up partway through. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of his kingdom there will be no end. And it goes on from there. And, and these, especially at this time of year, these are very familiar words yep. to many of us, at least to, who who go to church on a semi-regular basis. But it's one of those things you know, where, as always for me, um, things that we hear, but we don't necessarily always think about. Right. So he'll be great and called son of the most high. All right. He's God. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. Okay. <laughs> the throne of David, his father. Right. What's going on there, Renee? Um, well, David is the father of the covenant. I don't know. No, no. Yeah, I, well, I, 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 <laughs> no like, okay. I always feel like I'm going to. No, uh, yeah, I, I like where you're going. <laughs> He's so, the father of the covenant, the last covenant. So the, is that right? Um, he was yes he was he, well, he was the uh, it was the Davidic covenant by, that was by the that last yeah. covenant that had been um, established between God and one of the leaders of His people. So right. there had been before that Moses, before that Abraham, Noah, and then right. Adam, Adam uh, and Eve. Before that, so but da- David is the king par excellence for the Jewish right. people, and so they're waiting for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is going to be the son of David. Not like the, the son of David is Solomon. And there's also, David had all sorts of sons, but son in the sense of a dynastic son. Okay. So a, a, a dynasty. Mm-hmm. So in in the first reading for Mass this weekend, um, it's from 2 Samuel, 2 Book of Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 7. 
where David wants to build a house for the Lord, a temple. And he tells the prophet Nathan, I want to do this. And Nathan says, go for it, buddy. And the <laughs> Lord speaks to Nathan that night in a dream. And David's got to slow his roll. And you got to slow your roll and telling him, go for it, buddy. So Nathan goes back and says, "That's the, when you read the Hebrew, it's <laughs> That's the, what it means. The, that's the, uh, yeah. Um, so Nathan goes back to David and says, no, no, the, the Lord says, you'll build a house for me. Um, and yes, your son will build a house for me. I will build a house for you. So a house in the sense of a dynasty. Okay. So what, and so, and one of your sons will sit on that throne forever. So fast forward, well, just to really briefly, if you look over the course of, of, uh, the history of the people of Israel after that, none of David's successors, right. very few, excuse me. Very, very few of them worked out well. Right. But the Jewish people are always remembering this promise that is made. Uh, your, uh, one of your successors will sit on your throne forever. So they're waiting for the Messiah to come. So when, when Gabriel tells Mary that he, your son, uh, will sit on the throne of David, his father, that's a very, for the Jewish people, it's a very clear announcement that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Right. Great. Thanks for that, Dr. B. You bet. studio with me today. I have Father Mike Wensing, who many people in the diocese know and love. Welcome, Father Mike. Thank you, Renee. <laughs> you were around quite a few parishes over yes. your time as an active priest. Yes. You said Watertown, Brookings, Sioux Ver- Falls. Vermilion. Vermilion. Were you at the Newman Center? I was at the Newman Center, and I oh. had Wakanda as a mission. Oh, Just like wow. out of Sioux Falls once, I had uh, Hunnamer for a year as a mission. So I had some rural life, but... Yeah, you had, had a good mix then. Yeah. And then I was vocations and youth director for the diocese. It got that way back when I was a young priest. That got me into just about all the hundred parishes. Yeah, yeah. I, I regularly did either small retreats or preached on vocations yeah. during Sunday mass. Yeah. You're well known around the diocese, so we wanted Father Wensing. It is Christmas Eve day when this is airing, so we wanted Father Mike to come in talk about incarnation, um, Christmas in general, the Holy Family. So who better? <laughs> many, many, many would love to talk on this topic. <laughs> That's true. That's true. all right. So let's just jump right in, Father. Um, I'm going to ask you like the biggest question because I asked another priest this question. He was like, "That I can't talk about that in 20 minutes." So <laughs> we're going to distill it down as if it's a homily. Um, what is the incarnation, and why does it matter? For us? Well, you know, after creation, God creating everything, the universe from nothing. The two biggest mysteries in all of religious history is the incarnation and the resurrection. And I love sometimes how, you know, some theologians over, over drinks will argue which is the greater, but <laughs> you, you can't really do that. They're both, they're both the incredible mysteries because they deal with the, the transcendent and the imminent somehow joining and being married together. Now I'm going to start a little reflection by uh, Emeritus Pope Benedict. Okay. It, in, it fits the season because he's talking about, he starts with St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, and then segues into the incarnation. Okay. So he says, tradition has always equated uh, Santa Claus with Bishop Nicholas, who participated in the Council of Nicaea, which was 325 AD, mm-hmm. and helped to formulate the affirmation of the true divinity of Jesus Christ. What was at stake here was the core of Christianity. Was Jesus of Nazareth only a great religious man or like many other world religions say about mm-hmm. him, or 
had God himself actually become in him one of us? Ultimately, the question was this. Is God so mighty that he can make himself small? Is he so mighty that he can love us and really enter in our lives? In professing faith in the incarnation, ultimately, it is a case of of affirming man and woman's capacity to live and die in a human manner. What a way to conclude in a human manner. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus died in a human manner. Right. I mean, it was gross, but it was but it was yes. human suffering and, and, and death. So, you know, uh, that that sets the example. The catechism is a little more straightforward uh, than Pope Benedict. That's kind of surprising because, the well, uh, much of the time the catechism is quite straightforward. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. but I mean, Benedict kind of couches it in kind of in the season. Right. The season. Uh, and then uh, he, they actually quote uh, two begin their definition. It, it all starts with John chapter one verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Right. Boom. And then they turn to Saint Paul. Have this in mind among yourselves, which uh, and this is from Philippians two, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped at, but emptied himself. So. That was the uh, incarnation, God emptying himself into a limited container, uh, the human nature. Right. Now, number 463 goes on. Belief in the true incarnation of the Son of God is the distinctive sign of Christian faith. Hmm. By this you know the Spirit of God, says uh, 1 John's letter, uh, uh, chapter 4, that uh, Jesus Christ has become in the, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is of God. So that's getting those uh, things, you know, it's almost like one of those uh, labyrinths you had to walk in catechism class when you were young. <laughs> okay, God, uh, Jesus, uh, God and Jesus are one. Uh, are, are one. There's just, uh, Jesus is uh, the second person of the Trinity. There's just one person, but you got two natures, the divine nature and the human nature. Mm-hmm. And all the first three councils, Nicaea was in 325, then later in 300 there was a council of, of Chalcedon, and then there was the the Council of uh, Ephesus. I mean, there was Ephesus and then Chalcedon, who one time they had to emphasize his divinity, and the other time when there was like the Gnostics says, well, he was like divine all the time. He just made an appearance. It was like oh, an illusion right. in our midst. Right. And, uh, and no, you have, to, you have to, John protested, I touched him in the flesh. Right. He came in the flesh. And then so another council had to come back and, and announce that uh, he was true human like us, and then he took it from Hebrews. He was tempted in every way we were, so suffered and and uh, was uh, was uh, uh, you know hungry and thirsty and tired and uh, but didn't sin. He was tired but not crabby. So that's <laughs> I guess that might be the, the, the phrase it. So yeah, we rejoice. Um, you know, it, it ties in with all the other mysteries of faith. One of my seminarian friends, when we were studying, he got after class. He said, "Wow, if." Jesus or God, the transcendent one, can become material, that is, human flesh, then it's easy jump to believe that God can become bread, the Eucharist. Yes. Oh, that's so the very incarnation true. Yeah. Segues into that belief. Yes. If you can believe in the first, then it's easier to come to believe in the second. I hadn't never thought of it that way. That is that, a great way to think of it. That was a profound insight for me, and I've always remembered that. I think we were deacons in, in the seminary when he said that after class. And yeah. Should have went up on billboards everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, when you stop and think about it, how the space satellites, the telescopes are making 
making the universe uh, bigger. It is what it is, but we're discovering it's bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and uh, you think that infinite one who could do that decided to become one of us. I always say it started in Genesis when he made man and woman in his mm-hmm. image. Now, image is what was the, the, the cradle of the incarnation the, 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 uh, that we're made already. We have the spark of the divine in us. So that God could become in Mary's womb uh, a human being. Right. So, you know, like at the Council of Ephesus, trying to emphasize uh, the, uh, uh, the personhood of Jesus being one person, uh, a lot of people misunderstood what they called a Theotokos. Mary was declared the mother of God, and everybody else liked to say, and even today other denominations should have said he's the mo- she's the mother of Jesus. And uh, no, the reason the council did that is they wanted to emphasize that Jesus is God. Right, you can't divide. Right, so Mary yeah. was uh, mother of God. So it was, it was really uh, 90% about Jesus mm-hmm. and 10%, of course, her tremendous role right. in carrying this uh, out from God. So that was the right. revelation. Right. I, this part I'm going to come to a conclusion, which uh, is a story from um, uh, <laughs> from Pierre, South Dakota, the late Father Flannery. Many people remember yes. and admired yes. him. And I think his last pastorate was at St. Mary's here in Sioux Falls. He had a young priest told me that story. Uh, I mean, that, that line that sure. God, if God could become material human flesh, then it's easy to say, see how God can become bread. Yeah. Well, so he was a great thinker. But on Christmas Eve, the pastor asked him to take the Mass. And so he was con-celebrating, and the young newly ordained priest walks over to the parish, nativity scene, and points. And he says, therein lies the incarnation, the enfleshment of the divine, unconditional love for the human condition, the Christological fact of an ecclesial people. After Mass, Father Flannery put his arm around the young priest in the back. He said, It's called a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone else in the pews is probably like, huh? Uh, yeah. yeah, I think it is but a baby. <laughs> that segues us into Christmas Eve now and, and yeah. Christmas Day when there's something about celebrating the baby. Yes. And, and that reveals the incarnation. You know, it can connect the dots like nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So. This is really the time of year um, when the Holy Family begins. Yes. You, you have a, this family, uh, perfect example family. So how can we model our own families after that? Yeah, I was thinking about that a bit, and I thought, you know, the first uh, stage in the Holy Family was after the Incarnation. You know, we pray the the mysteries of the Rosary called the Joyful Mysteries. And it was only in recent years that when I'm saying it, I'll say the first Joyful Mystery, the angel Gabriel announces to Mary, or the Annunciation. And now I pause and say, ah, and also the Incarnation. Yes. So the Holy yes. Family started nine months before Christmas. And we mm-hmm. celebrate that on May 25th. In fact, Pope John Paul II wrote, uh, once in a while reflected to his staff that he almost was thinking of moving March 25th uh, into uh, the area of a, a solemnity or a holy day. Right. Because uh, it for us in the pro-life movement, it, it celebrates the life beginning at conception yes. and what Jesus had did. Yep. And, and, and and John the Baptist shortly later recognized that mm-hmm. live presence of a human in Mary's womb and leaped himself, which was another human leaping yes. in another <laughs> womb. So, I mean, it goes on and on. So you, you look at that and say, now, how do families begin how they handle pregnancy? The silence and the cooperation. And you see that between Mary and Joseph. Finally, when Joseph had the revelation that uh, she was with child by God, the Holy Spirit. And then the other lesson I learned from the, uh, the point of Christmas forward is Luke's gospel. Uh, remember Mary uh, 
just must have smiled and went to Shepherds and, and said she pondered all these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. That seemed like to be her life pondering the mystery. I don't know the I don't know the, how it's going to unfold. Yeah, but it's a mystery I trust. Right. Uh, I'm trusting that she trusted when she said, "Fiat, let it be done to me according to thy word." So then I think we have what call, is called the silent years, and everybody's curious about that, mm-hmm. except for when he was 12 years old and he's in the temple, <laughs> which happens to be about the age of bar mitzvah in Jewish life. Oh, okay. and they didn't yeah. have it celebrated as bar right. mitzvah yet at then, but that was called the transition to adulthood and when you would become a son of the law. Sure. And so he was a master of the law already. So it was mm-hmm. kind of his, you know, kind of almost like bar mitzvah statement. We had this coming out with the law in front of the temple priests and scholars. But other than that, it was, it's silent. Now, I was just thinking that this season needs, especially in the cyber age, uh, cell phones, et cetera, needs the dollops of silence, uh, but presence to each other rather than saying, see you later, uh, or, you know, off to my room or off to my friends or, or onto my phone. I don't know how you can do that, but it, it just there should be dollops of silence. So we can ponder these things in our hearts. So I would say the biggest lesson in, in 2023 going into 2024 is families resolving, how do we spend some quality time in silence together? It's hard to even imagine. It's it great in good weather when they say, let's go take a walk together. And sometimes they're all looking around and you don't have to talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you turn off the TV or how do you uh, uh, have a silence together? You do this, Father. You go click. Yeah, click. <laughs> so maybe maybe after, you know, a parent can say, now, you know, would be wonderful just to eat this meal in silence, like the monks and the, and the, yeah, the sisters yeah. do. And, and then uh, for you know five minutes, sure, I'm going to time it. If everybody can be silent yeah. for five minutes, <laughs> but anyway, they got to figure, be creative in how to how to do the dollops of silence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, good. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to Father Mike Wensing about the incarnation and the Christmas season. So, um, Father, you've a priest for a long time. Do you have any specific devotions or other things you do around Advent or Christmas? Well, you know, I, I, it's my repetitive Advent uh, habits uh, are, are simple, but they mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. One is Handel's Messiah. At the beginning of Advent, I always have to listen to that. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, it sets the stage because, you know, it's a prominent book of the Bible and Handel's Messiah is Isaiah, but he does move up through the New Testament in the book of Revelation. Sure. And it, it's a, uh, and of course, opera is beautiful to listen to anyway, and and that's a great stage. I, obviously, I you know I I say the rosary every day, but I especially want to say the rosary during Advent, and focusing more days than not on the joyful mysteries. Usually, every day has its own set of mysteries. Now right. that we have four sets of them, but sometimes I'll I'll skip the uh, sorrowful and do the joyful. Sure. Sorrowful is more for Lent, so I yeah. so I can get to these mysteries of, of the incarnation. Uh, so that's a, a whole different. Uh, you know, focus with the rosary. Then I have a, a, a another kind of a thing I always do is that when I'm whether I'm visiting people's lives, churches or stores, I, my eyes always look for the creche nativity oh. set. I don't even look for a tree. In fact, I was at uh, a guest last night at a family, and I walked in and took my coat off and went up to, to the living room, and I think the tree is off to my right, but I can't even tell you now. But I saw the nativity set there, and, and, and it was unique, and mother said she was just so uh, so joyful to s- tell the details of where she got the little statues and yes. where and then she had the statues she had to find a perfect uh a little housing for it she found it at Hobby Lobby and I thought <laughs> I was glad that she got excited over it and I and that I admired it but I think it came from studying Italy they have competitions all those churches in, See, we should in do Rome. that we should yeah, do that uh, more a crash scene yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so I said, I and then by commenting on it, it, it segues into great religious conversation. But I just do it personally. I, I've taken, you know, just started a few years ago where I, that's the first thing I pay attention to uh, because most people are taking it down right after Christmas. Right. We should be able to do that during the 12 days of Christmas. But right. no, I've got to look for the creches right now yeah. uh, during Advent, right up through Christmas. Yeah. And okay, that, that explains some of my simple approaches to, yeah. to you Advent. Just, you just gave me a good idea for next year. Maybe we should do a... Hey, parishes, send in photos of your main of your scenes, and yeah. and we'll have a little contest, a vote to see who likes the which one is the best. Which one is the best? <laughs> I mean, I was lucky to having led all those tours to the Holy Land that yeah. I could pick up uh, olive wood, uh, nativity set yeah. and housing right in Bethlehem. Yeah. So that that's very meaningful when I set up my own. Maybe it started then with after <laughs> I started setting up my own. But I, it goes back to my childhood. We there were some years when the crop didn't come in and we were poor, and, and there wasn't much folks could do for. Christmas gifts. And I even remember sometimes mom wouldn't buy a tree or dad went, and she'd bring out her little Charlie Brown four foot tree and <laughs> yeah. decorate it up. But she always put out that little Christmas crib. And uh, when I got older, she said, you were like five years old. She said, you sit and stare and stare and stare at that <laughs> endlessly. And I said, I kind of remember that. Of course, you don't remember a lot when you're right, five. Right, but, right. But she remembered it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I also wish more of the nativity scenes that you buy would have Jesus separate from the manger because so many of them, he's just, he's yeah, in the manger. It's all one piece. Yeah. So you have to kind of leave it out. Yeah, I know the whole thing. Yeah. You kind of want that empty manger there. Right. It, yeah. yeah maybe that was always when I was at Holy Name in Watertown. Uh-huh. Uh, that was a big part of the children's procession at the uh, yeah. children's mass was, was in, of course we had a big, you know, large nativity scene mm-hmm. and baby Jesus was not quite full size, but large right. was to choose the, the child that would bring in the, sure. uh, yep. the child Jesus in procession. And what it, an honor it, it, for them, oh, right? Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. All, they're all, me, me, me. And so, <laughs> but we did. We, we gathered around them, and then we put, uh, and that, of course, singing the Silent Night and everything. Yeah. But yeah. So you're right. It, it yeah. would be nice to celebrate the placing of Jesus on yes. Christmas Eve. Yes. Um, do you have any special ways you can suggest that we approach Christmas? Well, I, I mentioned um, uh, trying to have those gallops of silence. And personally, we can try to do that, start with ourselves if we with our family, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be uh, be selective about the TV specials you watch. Mm. I mean, there's there's tons to choose from. You can just get diverted. I mean, they're celebrating all kinds of musical, classic, and, and artists from before, etc. So I find myself that uh, saying usually I watch an hour of TV at night just to we'll call nesting, just to unwind sure. and get ready yeah. for bed. Yeah. But now if there's a, why am I watching this? Uh, it's not that interesting, and, and, and boom, it goes off. Right. Uh, so I can do some reading or uh, spiritual reading or meditating. or, or uh, and, and, and I recommend that, too, is uh, because you've you got to go against the current. This is a noisy season, so swimming against mm-hmm. the current a little bit with, with the silence. And, yeah. and, and I mentioned the, the rosary as well mm-hmm. in family life. It's a good thing to say it in the car. We used to idea. do that on the way to church, but yeah. we had five miles of gravel road to get to church, and it was just about to— had enough time. Just about right amount of time to, to say the rosary, and I, I thought it's the only time you got you know kids trapped, <laughs> right? Without and, TV or anything. yeah, yeah. And without Very diversion, true. and then uh, yep. And then the big thing was eventually, mom started saying, "You you all have to take turns leading it now, so pay attention." Mm. So you know, we'd go down through the five kids. Each one, it was their turn to lead the rosary in right, the car. Right. So, so did you eat, each lead a decade then? Well, sometimes we did that too, yeah. and, and, and that's how we started. And and then sometimes it was every other decade, yeah, uh, where the uh, you answered it, to, but did you let it as well? Um, there's, um, uh, I, I, I think, uh, what else is another, uh, uh, 
thing to do during Advent. Well, you know, selective fasting, but really we don't emphasize that too much like we do Lent. Right, uh, right. But it, it's good to remember it is a season of fast, uh, too. All preparation seasons are seasons of fasting. Right. And, you know, I don't know how people choose. They might do something uh, minor, you know, I'll give that, I'll give up uh, just chewing gum or. Sure, yeah. Or yeah, it doesn't have to be Chocolates, huge. no. Yeah. But it's more of a symbolic uh, intention that I am preparing for something large. Right, right. Um, okay, so we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, you have like a favorite memory from Christmas. Um, I mean, I, you're you're I, not 15, so no, you probably have a lot of Christmas memories. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, uh, just three uh, jumping through the ages. I mentioned the earlier one about uh, the uh, uh, being a child at home in front of the Christmas crib. But, yeah. But uh, mom always, you know, Santa Claus always came during the midnight mass. When I grew up, that was the earliest mass you could have was at midnight. Oh, sure, yeah. So it truly was. And we were all excited about it, except as little kids, we always fell asleep. It was so <laughs> awful. We were almost sick to our stomach when they woke us up to get ready for church. Yeah. But by the end of mass, we were so excited because we knew uh, that uh, Santa Claus came during the mass. So right. the excitement of the five of us, and then they couldn't get us to bed at two or three in the morning. <laughs> and dad would say, we all got to get up and do chores, you know. And uh, so oh, we, we would finally go to bed. We were in hyper mode. But those are still fond memories. And then I'll, I'll leap forward to, uh, I was in the seminary, but then when I first started at St. Lambert's, Father Ryan was my pastor, and I was a deacon. And uh, we had, in those days, we had, uh, first semester was uh an internship in the parish. And in the second semester of our fourth year, quite different today, but then we went back to the seminary for a okay, semester sure. of study. Mm -hmm. So he wanted the, the uh, Christmas to be really special. And he had a, there was a particular solo uh, of a, a, a musician in Twin Cities that wrote, and it's not a, a real public song, but uh, that I kept bragging about. And somehow he got a hold of that music secretly and had a soloist sing that oh, wow. uh, for me at the, at the midnight mass as, as they were getting ready to oh, go that's back. Awesome. That just opened up where I knew I loved parish life. And yes. so I can jump each new parish, but I, I, I jump forward to, uh, you know, the uh, St. Michael's when I first got there the first year, uh, you know, I had Newman centers, which are rather quiet during the sure, Christmas yes, vacation yes. time. So having this true big parish of St. Michael's, the children's mass, it just lit up what, I, yes, this is where I belong. This is, <laughs> And this is, I love retirement and I love substituting, but this is what I'll miss about being a, a priest assigned to a parish is uh, when it comes Christmas Eve. Well, I'll can't celebrate, of course, but, yes, but, yes. Uh, but I, you know, won't, won't be in charge of the, the children and every, everything else. So, yeah. But that's a favorite memory, uh, each of, of those segues when I started a new parish. Yeah, very cool. Are you con celebrating? Celebrating somewhere this year? I, I'm sure I'm registered at St. Michael's because I was pastor for 10 sure. years. And as soon as I got in town, the staff called and said, I don't care where you live, you're registering here. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I was, I was going to anyway. <laughs> so they'll probably let you. Yeah. Let yes. you celebrate. <laughs> um, Father, we are out of time. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about the incarnation and Christmas. And have a very blessed Christmas. I hope you have lots of peace and a little silence and... And also uh, lots of time with the people you love. Thank you. you Thanks, too, Father. Your Thank you. Uh, if you haven't found us on social media already, you can find us at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube anytime at SF Diocese. Also, while you're out and about, if you are approached to sign a petition around um, abortion or supposedly pro-life, uh, please decline to sign that petition. It is not a pro-life petition. Um, and we want to try to uh, avoid that if we can. So uh, that is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views and Merry Christmas.